regardless of where you stand on the matter of data science sexiness, it's simply impossible to ignore the continuing importance of data as well as our ability to analyze, organize, and contextualize them. Data are changing how our businesses and societies function. They are being used to solve a ton of interesting problems and shaping the questions we can ask of the world around us. Hi, I'm James Lee, and this is Datacast. Join me for raw conversations with practitioners from the worlds of AI, machine learning, statistics, and data science. Hi listeners, this is Datacast, where I hold long-form conversations with data practitioners to unpack the narrative journey of their career. My guest today is Dao Wiemann, the founder and CEO of Meltano, an open source data host platform. Before joining Meltano, he was hired as a 10 employee at GitLab, later becoming an engineering manager. While at GitLab, he spent six months traveling the world, visiting co-workers in 14 different countries. In 2019, he joined internal Meltano projects at GitLab and quickly he became its general manager. In early 2021, Dao led Meltano in spinning out GitLab to become an independent startup raising $4.2 million in seed funding from investors led by Alphabet's GV Capital. So Dawi, glad to have you on the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Fabulous. So I want to start our conversation a little bit with your early interest in programming. So according to my research, you caught the programming virus at the age of nine, combined high school with freelance web development, and later studied computer science at Utrecht University back in the Netherlands. So yeah, could you mind kind of going over some of these formative experiences of your upbringing? Yeah, absolutely. When I was growing up, my father was one of the first person in the neighborhood and his family to have a computer and to start getting interested in, you know, what the internet would make possible for all of us. So from a very young age, I thought of computers not just as something you use, but actually something you can make do new things. And I realized when I was in primary school together with a friend of mine that it didn't take much to start building websites or becoming a programmer because all of this material was available online for free and open source software, including the PHP programming language, made it a uniquely accessible to start channeling your creativity in this way. I guess your love for programming really led you to study computer science for undergrad, right? Was there any favorite classes that you recall in college? Yeah, good question. So since I've been programming for so long already, when I actually went to do my bachelor's in computer science, a lot of the basic programming and databases stuff I'd already been familiar with. But one of my favorite classes was on cryptography, because that's a topic which really went into the math and the theory of computer science, which up to that point, I had been not exposed to as much as the practical side of things. So combining both the applied side of things, which already honed from doing programming for a long time with theoretical foundation that you become knowledge really allows you to become a more well-rounded computer scientist in general. Yeah, exactly. It made it so that I realized a lot of things that I was doing kind of instinctively based on having seen good and wrong things. I was finally able to put into kind of academic terms, like big O notation and figuring out the efficiency and the actual security of the things we were doing. So it definitely helped. Although out of what I actually use day to day as a software engineer, I definitely learned more over the 10 years doing it myself, just with the internet uh, under my fingertips than uh, in the classroom. Yeah. Really, thanks for sharing that experience. I believe that why being a college student, you actually found a startup called Stingo, which later led you to join GitLab in 2015 as employee number 10. Can you share the backstory behind this entrepreneurial stint? 
Yeah, my pleasure. So in high school, after a few years, I switched from PHP web development to building iOS and Mac apps. And I started working for this company that built apps like that. And after doing that for a few years, together with one of my bosses up to that point, we co-founded a new company where we built software for bed and breakfasts. And around the same time, I was going to a lot of conferences around Europe and the Netherlands that had to do with Ruby on Rails and web development. And at one of these, I ran into a couple of people working for, at the time, a tiny little Dutch company called GitLab, which had been built around this uh, open source project that was founded in Ukraine a few years prior. And at this conference, I ran into them and it turned out that the founder of GitLab, Sitsi Brandi, uh, his parents owned a bed and breakfast in the north of the Netherlands. So his parents started using my product. Uh, and then, you know, retroactively, I can see that that must have been my resume, essentially, because pretty quickly I kept running into Sid and he asked me to uh, join GitLab as uh, employee number 10 at the time, just when GitLab was going through Y Combinator, the, the accelerator program. And started raising its first funding. So I was able to see that entire journey from the front seats uh, from a very early day. Yeah, definitely. And I think GitLab recently went IPO not too long ago. So definitely it's quite amazing how you can observe the evolution of the company since you know it was a very early stage, right? And so you joined us, employee number 10. And I think just a few months into the job, you started getting tasked with hiring responsibility, basically interviewing, hiring more developers, and eventually you become the development lead for the company, you know, so from the experience of hiring for the team, what do you think are some of the essential attributes of exceptional engineering talent? One of the things that we found really important at GitLab, in part by nature of the product, since it's a platform for software developers and software development teams that helps them become more active at their job, which means that as a software developer, working on software development tooling is kind of uniquely attractive because it's very much a matter of scratching your own itch. So one thing that we really appreciated in the exceptional engineers and our teams is their ability to take a relatively rough problem description coming from essentially a peer, another programmer working in the open source community or for a customer and being able to work with that user on the issue tracker since this was all open source software and our users had the same access to the discussions around how we were going to solve certain problems that our own team had and being able to be part in that conversation, put on the product manager hat and really build a great solution and a unique thing about a tool like GitLab and also today with Meltano is that engineers really know well if they are solving the problem or not because they are themselves also often the people experiencing the same problem and they will know if they would use a certain solution or not. And being able to go from relatively vague problem description to a really solid solution and not just by blindly listening to a product manager but by putting your own experience into the situation always led to really great results and to features that even the people who built them love to use and would then help them be more productive at their work going forward. Yeah, I see. I like your point about putting the product manager hat and focus on being problem-oriented rather than sort of like feature-oriented, right? And I suppose you probably hire a lot of people who contribute to GitLab. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you mentioned earlier that when I joined GitLab as employee number 10, originally as a software engineer, I relatively quickly was tasked with hiring engineers. And this really just came from the fact that the GitLab company at the time only had 10 people working for it. But the open source community of contributors uh, counted in the hundreds, meaning that there were hundreds, if not thousands of people who had contributed at some point, and at least 100 plus who were regularly contributing. So we had a steady inflow of, of engineers 
engineers that we had already had a working experience with that really cared about our mission. And part of the exercise that I took on as hiring manager was to start identifying those people in the community who would also turn out to be really great teammates. And it's kind of unique to have a chance to work with your new employees in a very real sense on real problems and with real stakes in the actual issue tracker and merge request tracker in a way that you cannot do if you're just hiring based on people's resumes or how they perform in an interview. Yeah, definitely does provide a much tangible outlook at the capability of the engineers rather than, you know, based on referrals or, you know, a piece of paper, right? So over the following years, as GitLab's product and engineering organization continued to grow, existing team was being split up and new teams were created. And as a result of that, your scope of responsibility also changed frequently. So reflecting on that six years, right, like would you mind unpacking the evolution of your engineering career at GitLab? Yeah, so I joined a software engineer, like you mentioned, when I was still actually finishing up my computer science bachelor's degree. So I started working part-time and then relatively quickly, I became a hiring manager for engineers and I hired the first 14 engineers. But at the time, my role hadn't really changed much. I was still doing a kind of hands-on programming most days. But then by the time the first 10 or so engineers had come on board on top of the four or so that were already on the team by the time I joined, we as GitLab found ourselves in a place where we needed to start having some kind of management hierarchy and some responsibility around the people ops experience of the people on the team, which means that about a year into my time at GitLab, I officially became a development lead. And what that meant at the time is really that I, of course, was in charge of hiring more people, managing the people who'd already been hired. But a lot of my own day was still very hands-on. Either I was coding myself or I was doing a lot on a lot of codes review of the work that my team and, and open source contributors were doing. And as the team grew, as the company grew rather, this development team ended up first being split up into backend and frontend, which left with me being backend lead, working together closely with the frontend team. And then over time, as GitLab realized that it was building not just a version control solution and an issue tracker, but actually a platform for the entire DevOps lifecycle, we ended up with different teams for each step in the life cycle. So then you're thinking about okay, creating, which is the actual code, uh, planning, which is everything to do with issue tracking, verification and release, which is continuous integration and deployment. And over this journey, I had a choice to kind of pick as my team and other teams were split up where I wanted to stay. And the thing that I always felt most passionate about was code review and the process of helping your engineers kind of iteratively improve the thing they've built through feedback for myself and, and their peers and the functionality that I really wanted to be involved with building had to do with code review and actual version control in GitLab. So at the end of my kind of stint in engineering management at GitLab, I was responsible for the backend side of what we called create at the time, and then the source code area specifically. So uh, if you've ever viewed a repository on GitLab or read, read some commits or reviewed merge requests, you will have looked at code that my team uh, wrote and that I reviewed. Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing context and how the product evolve and your responsibility for that one as well. I mean, taking a look at that journey is, is interesting for sure. I believe that around the middle of 2018, the Meltano project was being created in order to help GitLab's internal data team address some of the gaps that prevent them from understanding the effectiveness of business operation. So would you mind briefly explaining the key motivation behind the creation of Meltano? 
My pleasure. So Meltano, like you mentioned, was started inside GitLab in 2018. At the time, I was not yet involved with the project that only came in 2019. We'll talk about that in a second. But what happened is that GitLab's data team, as they were growing and figuring out how to process all of the data from the various places and start getting insights out of it, realized that the tooling that they had been building didn't really seem to match well with the expectations that GitLab had around tools being open source and extensible and having a lot of flexibility. And having tools that allowed the data team to use things like version control so that you can figure out after the fact why a change was made and perhaps roll it back, code reviews so that your team can actually give their input on changes before they go live and potentially affect the production dashboard and break things. And in general, the tools we were using for data seemed to be behind the things we had gotten used to on the software development side of things. So GitLab being an open source developer tooling company realized that there was an opportunity here to start building open source data tooling that brought some of these best practices that software development teams have gotten used to over the years that are often captured under the, the moniker data ops, or rather DevOps in the software development case, um, and seeing if there was an opportunity to build data tooling that built on some of those same principles. So then you have to think about version control and code review to enable more effective collaboration, as well as things like end-to-end -end testing so that you can know whether a change you've made has the desired effect before it actually goes live and potentially breaks something. So inside GitLab, this project started to build an end-to-end -end platform for the data lifecycle that would use as many existing open source technologies as possible and try to bring them together in one platform so that the entire data team and an entire organization can have a single product that they can use from everything from data integration all the way through data visualization with advantages such as being able to really quickly detect if a change to the data integration configuration would affect negatively a dashboard down the lifecycle or down the stack. And this project was started first specifically with the data team at GitLab as their primary user and customer, but it kept going for a while when it turned out that the data team, their needs started growing faster than the actual Meltano team was able to keep up with them. So even though GitLab's data team remained kind of a prime advisor and an internal customer for the Meltano team from 2018 until about 2020, the Meltano team was mostly working on this data ops platform vision internally with a growing community but we can talk about that more in a second. Yeah, well, th thanks for providing the story and, you know, the goal of like, building an end-to-end internal data platform to, you know, increase productivity of the internal data team. Um, and to be clear, you know, it started as an internal project, but from day one, we did this in the open source software, talking about it with the wider community because we realized that we needed the feedback from data teams everywhere in order to build something that would actually help people all over. And we felt like similarly with GitLab, there was a big opportunity to build a new product here by data people and for data people that would turn out to be the most useful tool in their arsenal, just like GitLab had become for many software developers. Definitely. You mentioned a little bit about like as the needs of the data team grow in complexity, right? The need for development Meltano also ship a little bit. In September of 2019, you actually wrote an article on LinkedIn that I can read a little bit. You left GitLab's engineering organization and joined the Meltano team full-time. And this is the part where Meltano only has five people, I think led by Daniel Morel. Reflecting on that point in time, what motivated you to make this decision? 
Yeah, so in 2019, Meltano had been around for a little bit over a year inside GitLab. Of course, everyone in GitLab knew it was happening, but it was very much something that a team of five people worked on. And the other 1,300 or so people knew about it, but really working on their own things. And similarly, I was working on GitLab's the source code backend engineering team at the time. But I started feeling after you know five years at GitLab or a little bit over four at the time that there's a lot of differences between a tiny 10-person startup and a 1,400 person organization with you know hundreds of millions in annual recurring revenue and a lot of things in place that are of course very important for a business at that scale to run responsibly but uh, we're not really aligned anymore with the things that had attracted me to the early startup named GitLab so I was starting to think about finding a new opportunity but there were a lot of things about GitLab that I was very sad to leave or that I wasn't sure I would find in quite the same way elsewhere part of it being open source and developer tools but also the way that GitLab did remote work and the way it has taken transparency really important. And that's been one of GitLab's values for a very long time to the extent that it doesn't just talk to its users about the issue tracker and the products, the open source product, but every aspect of how GitLab as a business is run is publicly available on the website and the handbook. So anyone in the world can go and learn a lot about how GitLab works. And this document is updated daily and and reflects uh, really well how things go at GitLab. And the transparency was really appreciated by everyone at the company because you felt like at any point you could find out how things were going in other departments or how the company was doing at a high level. And then there was remote work, which GitLab had been doing at large scale since 2015, uh, in part because of its open source roots, where there were already hundreds of engineers from countries all over the world collaborating on this product. So from day one, GitLab never had an office. And by the time I left officially about six months ago, there were 1,400 employees in 68 different countries. And that freedom to travel and that freedom to live in different parts of the world and really feel connected with all of GitLab's global community uh, was really special for me and something I wanted to give up. For context, you know, I'm from the Netherlands, but I live in Mexico City right now because I met a girl who's now my wife in Mexico when I was there traveling for work about five years ago. And uh, it was GitLab's flexibility that allowed me to move to Mexico, no questions asked, move back to the Netherlands for a few years when my wife was doing her master's program there. And then two years ago, I moved to Mexico again because we wanted to spend some time there. And that's a freedom that I didn't want to let go. So then when I was right at this point where I thought I might need to look outside GitLab, this really great opportunity came up to join the Meltano team because they were looking for an engineering leader to come into this five-person team that at the time, like you mentioned, had Danielle Morrill as general manager and then four engineers. And they were looking for someone to really bring this kind of intimate knowledge of of how GitLab builds open source software and how we build developer tools in general to this new project and to the data space. So for me, the opportunity was really compelling, uh, building open source developer tools again, but now focusing on a slightly different audience of data people rather than the software developers that I'd worked with previously. And the other part of it was that a lot of Meltano's mission from day one had been about bringing software development best practices that that Hayat gotten used to and started taking for granted almost to an industry that would benefit from them just as much, but was still a couple years behind in the data ops wave and then picking up principles like version control and, and continuous integration and deployment. And that in combination with coming to a culture that came out of GitLab, but that we were also tasked with kind of improving and, and experimenting to go beyond what GitLab had become was really appealing. Uh, and a lot of the things that were so great about how GitLab runs its business, including the very, very thorough the transparency about everything that it does and the 
open source aspect, remote work, you know, uh, iteration, this concept of trying to build things in really small steps so that you can get feedback from your users really quickly. And then just keep iterating with a low kind of sense of shame about the quality of the first thing you release were really important to me. And uh, Miltano would basically be a best of both worlds situation. And that's only become bigger now that Miltano has actually spun out, like you mentioned earlier, and we have the opportunity to really shape our own culture, learning from GitLab in so many ways, but trying to make some of our own mistakes instead of the same ones and trying to, yeah, see if we can build a second company in that vein and have a similar impact on data tooling that GitLab has had on developer tooling. Yeah. Thanks for being very concrete and talking about the story, the details, what motivated you to make this decision. And just in your article, you wrote about this decision. You said that GitLab to you has come to represent as much an approach to working as the specific product being worked on. And so it's, it's not just about the product itself, but also the culture, which you already mentioned a bit about that openness, transparency, as well as flexibility in terms of remote work, right? And I think you already mentioned it. Working on Mountano is like an, a separate startup, so you can take you know, what you already learned from those five years at GitLab and adapt it to the new project at Mountano and tailor it towards the data persona, which is definitely a great way to tackle the project firsthand. Let's talk a bit more about Mountano, the product, and just the journey of the product strategy that has happened over the past two years or so. Version 1 of Mountano was a complete open source solution for the entire data lifecycle, all the way from data extraction to analytics dashboarding. And however, after six months into this adventure, you realize that as an open source project, the scope of Meltano was simply too broad and ambitious. And you actually written a two-part blog series back in May 2020, talking about this in detail. So can you share the learning journey that led to such a realization? Absolutely. So like I mentioned, Meltano from day one was built around this conviction we had that bringing these software development best practices to data tooling would be really valuable. And then second, that there was value in an end-to-end platform, like a single tool that encompassed the entire data lifecycle in what we used to call at the time from data to dashboard. So all the way from getting data out of source systems to the actual visualization that your analysts or your people in your company use to gain insights. So we had been working on this for a while. And we were trying to use open source technologies as much as possible. But we also realized that there were some parts that we had to build ourselves in this end-to-end platform. So we started building, on the one hand, data integration functionality on top of this existing Singer standard. For transformation, we use DBT, and I'll talk about both of these tools a little bit more further down. The orchestration was handled by Airflow. And then for the actual visualization and and modeling, we started building our own technology because we didn't find open source technology existing at the time that was met our needs. And we were building this platform because we were convinced that if users can use a single tool to really quickly go from data to dashboard, this would be immensely valuable to data teams, large and small over the world. And what we found is that because this story really hinged on adopting all of Maltano in one go to essentially replace whatever you have today, it was really interesting for people who were still setting up their data stack for the very first time. For example, you know, people starting a new startup or just tiny little data teams that didn't have much yet, and were looking for a tool to really help them get up and running quickly. 
And we were starting to get some users who were startup founders, uh, including less technical people who might not be confident setting up a whole data stack from scratch. And they were starting to give us useful feedback. But about six months into my time on the Meltano team, so now we're talking between September 2019 and March 2020, we reached the conclusion that we were building something of value, but it was not attracting the types of users we needed to keep building and growing this product because it was less interesting for existing data teams because they would need to rip out everything they already had and replace it with Meltano, which is a really hard sell, of course, when the value is not immediately clear. And Meltano, because it had been developed just by a team of four engineers and a couple of open source contributors, was still relatively immature and also not really ready to actually take over all of a company's entire data needs. So part of the conclusion we came to is that it's far easier to convince people to try out and contribute and give feedback to a more narrow product that they can adopt in their current data stack than something that requires them to replace the entire thing. And at the same time, we realized that from GitLab's side, there were at the time six full-time people on this team and had been going for a little bit more than a year and a half, but the actual numbers in terms of usage and contributions were not growing at the pace that really warranted that level of investment from GitLab. So the decision was made in early 2020 to basically give Meltano the best chance at finding its place over time by making the most of the existing allocated budget, which meant reducing the headcount on the team from six down to one, thereby effectively extending the runway from, you know, let's say one month remaining six. And that's what happened. And the decision was made for me to be kind of on the product by myself with this challenge of figuring out how to take what we had built so far and turn it around, get those contributor and user numbers up. So what I started doing is start talking to the users and contributors that we had been able to pick up to that point, people who were in Slack and were excited about every announcement we had every month or so, and start learning from them what part of Meltano hadn't originally gotten them attracted and, and what part they thought we should keep focusing on. And through talking to these users, I came across the Singer community, which is this community around uh, the Singer technology, which is an open source standard for data connectors that help you do data extraction and loading to get data out of various systems and then load it into a data warehouse for further processing and analytics. And Singer as a standard had been around for a couple of years and really promising. There was a library of connectors that ran into the couple hundreds. But from talking to them, I realized that what Meltano had kind of unwittingly come across is this opportunity to build really great tools around Singer to run these pipelines, these data integration pipelines, manage their configuration, their incremental replication state, and in general, make them much more accessible than the standalone connectors would have been. So based on that feedback, I realized that the Singer community was kind of underserved when it came to the tooling that was being built around it. And Meltano had come across that opportunity, but hadn't really been capitalizing on it yet. So after those conversations, what I did is I changed the positioning on the website, not even the product itself, but I changed the way we talked about ourselves to really only focus on that Singer integration we had built and the fact that you can use Meltano to run open source pipelines on your own infrastructure with some of these advantages of software development best practices that we've talked about that have to do with treating your pipelines as code and allowing pipelines to be tested automatically so that software developers can take some of those DevOps advantages and bring it into the data integration game. I see. Thanks for being extremely detailed on that whole pivot, right? Of the solution from big go, but really ambitious to look at more niche focused. Before talking about the focus on ERT pipeline and data integration, I'm just curious. So you said the team reduced the size from six to one and you the only sole person who responsible for everything. 
what was in your head at the time, you know, just, just as a person who be in charge of everything. How do you deal with this growing responsibility, just being the sole person who the whole project depend on? I'm curious about like, the mental aspect of taking it from zero to one, at least I guess that's my thought. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was told that basically the Maltano team as it existed at the time couldn't live on and I was given the opportunity to take it over, as scary as that sounded and as sad as I was to see the team time of Meltano come to an end, at least for the time being, and, and having to, you know, figure stuff out myself instead of having people to talk to every day to kind of validate your thoughts and, and make sure you're on the right track and, and provide that really useful counterbalance and, and critical questions asking instead of someone just following their own lead. I was very worried about whether I would be able to take this project on by myself, but there was never a part of me that thought about doing anything else than accepting that opportunity because I thought that there was still a lot of value in Meltano and I didn't want to see it go at all. And I did realize that by the combination of my engineering experience and my leadership experience and also this kind of capability that I've had for a long time where I can talk people and get them enthusiastic about things, I did realize that made most sense for me to kind of give it a try. But in some sense, because the product had been around for so long and we hadn't been able to find significant success, the bar that I needed to reach also felt relatively low because I thought we've been kind of plateaued for a while now. So any measure of growth will be better than nothing. And it's really just up to me to figure out kind of week by week, month by month, what are the little things I can focus on and the dials I can turn to slowly get that kind of traction to, to keep rising and get those contributions coming in. So I really decided to just take it one step at a time and try to identify at any moment, what is the highest priority thing I can do. And in some sense, it's easier to do that when you're a single person who has the full context of everything going on with the project, all the way from the questions that are being asked in Slack to the discussion that's taking place on Hacker News or Stack Overflow to knowing the actual code base and knowing what's already possible led me to a place where I was able to have that full picture and really decide on a day-to-day -day basis what needed to happen. But the very first, most important thing, like I said a second ago, uh, was just to talk to all of these users and, and really listen to what they thought we were building so far that was valuable. And then I was able to as we'll talk about in a second, narrow the focus for a while and then broaden it again once we had kind of great gained more credibility and traction with that first step. Yeah, for sure. It's really focused on such incremental improvement, right? Like day-to-day, -day, you said day-to-day -day basis, talking one more user, responding to one more question, you know, checking out one more code snippet. I think just the focus on the small gains is important to make progress on it. You wrote on the blog, Meltano, basically the second part, the two-part blog series on this pivot, but you basically try to position Meltano as an open source self-hosted platform for running data integration and transformation ELT pipelines. So my question is twofold. First is that what are some of the issues with existing proprietary hosted ELT solution? And second, where does Meltano fit into that tooling ecosystem? Yeah, so like you mentioned, part of that conclusion I reached is that the tools around Singer that we had built were the most promising part in Maltano up to that point, and, and most likely to create a lot of value for a lot of people really quickly. And the reason for that is because even though there exist really great open source tools for various stages of the data lifecycle, uh, if you think about things like Airflow, Dexter, Prefect for workflow orchestration, DBT for transformation, great expectation for data testing and validation, and things like Superset and Lightdash and a bunch of others for visualization, we 
realized that from talking with these users that the situation on the data integration side wasn't as bright. Like the big data integration solutions that people use today, like Fivetran and Stitch and Matillion and all of these uh, have a number of issues that had left people reaching for open source solutions and not really finding them. And these issues are of a couple of different parts. One big reason is that if you go with one of these SaaS data integration platforms, you are limited by the data sources and destinations that they support and that they have decided are worth maintaining in-house, which means that you will probably find that there's about 150 different websites that you can pull data from. And for all of those sources, it will be really good. But if you need something that goes beyond that, you're kind of left to fend for your And in many cases, you end up never pulling data from some section of the tools you're using because they're just not supported by the tool you chose for data integration. So open source solves this problem because every connector can be an individual project that those people who need it can work on together. Often, of course, what happens is that one person or one team builds it, then they open source it. And then from that point on, the maintenance burden is shared. What that means is that the long list of data sources that can be supported is not limited by what one company can afford to maintain in-house. So today already Singer has more than 300 connectors, which is about double what you'll find at a place like Fivetran. And what this means is that Meltano is especially useful right now for companies that are either in niche industries where the tools might not be supported by the big proprietary solutions, or they are in regions other than the US where the local you know, payment provider or the local CRM system that integrates with you know, the text platform is not supported by these US-centric tools either. And what we're seeing is that there's a lot of connectors for these really popular tools, but the only way to tap into those right now is to find Singer. The other side of it is that if you are using one of these SaaS data integration tools and you have some kind of problem, you your only option is to reach out to their support and hope that they get back in time and that they prioritize your request. And similarly, if you want the connector to do a little bit more than it does today, like if there's a new data entity you would like to import, or if there's just behavior you'd like to tweak, your only option again is to ask support and hope that they prioritize it. Instead of you having full control over your data, data stack and, and your data pipelines, you have kind of outsourced a really, really important, significant part of it, and you lose that control. The other side of the difference between Meltano and Singer and some of these other tools is that Meltano is built from day one around these principles where pipelines are code that you can check into a, a code repository, a Git repository, and that your team can collaborate on with functionality like version control and code review and continuous integration. And this is all stuff that is not available if you're using a web interface where you just press a button and enter your credentials and then rely on them to keep it all running, which has advantages, but also disadvantages because it doesn't fit in this world of thinking about building data pipelines as a type of programming. The third thing has to do with the advantages of open source software in that it can be self-managed and you can host it on your own infrastructure, whether that is actual machines you have running in a data center or some clouds, you know, compute that you buy from AWS or Google. Google Cloud Platform or who else. If you are dealing with uh, security or compliance or privacy restrictions, or if you are dealing with health information and you have to abide by HIPAA, going with one of these proprietary platforms can either be impossible or extremely expensive and running stuff on your own infrastructure can have a lot of advantages. So we strongly believe that the future of data integration will be built around open source software for a number of these reasons and that any solution, any data tool that will still be relevant 10 years from now will have 
to find a way to work well with these DevOps and data ops best practices uh, around version control and, and code review. And Meltano makes that possible today by providing really great integration around Singer and DBT and Airflow to make them come together as basically your private ELT platform that allows you to really easily build new connectors and improve existing ones and to deploy your pipelines wherever you see fit. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It remains boys about like, you know, uh, increase the number of connectors, the way Maton has been decided, pipeline analytics is good. And then last one is sound managed capability to deal with potential governance and compliance concerns, right? I'm curious, you know, I think at this point, the adoption of Meltano probably grows outside of GitLab into other data teams in different organizations over. So I suppose that each of them has their own perception of data integration. So you mentioned a little bit about sort of the pros and cons of by the way Meltano being decided, the specific way of adopting best practices. What are some challenges of like just educating these new data teams about the way Meltano being designed and convince them this is the right paradigm for the data team to operate? So one big difference between just going to 510.com and signing up and setting up your pipeline and the Meltano approach is that you are expected to be a little bit of a developer, at least to the extent that you're comfortable with command line interfaces, you're comfortable opening YAML files in your editor and, and making changes in there. And you will have to figure out yourself how to get this running on a machine somewhere. So if you are a data team that either already has some software engineering backgrounds and that have been kind of disappointed by the state of data tools, and they're not really fitting in that world that of DevOps, uh, Meltano will feel like home and it will be really easy to get up and running on your local machine and then to bring this into a Git repo to share with your team and then to deploy it wherever you like. We actually have a video on the website that we call the uh, From Zero to ELT Speed Run, which takes you from zero to ELT in 90 seconds and shows you from installing Meltano and configuring it and running your pipeline, how easy it is to have data flowing from Google Analytics or GitLab into your data warehouse. And if you're a developer, this will feel easier than going into a web interface and clicking all the right buttons. But that does mean that on the one hand, we are finding a lot of data teams that are already mature enough that they have software engineering expertise and the ability to kind of pick their own tools, contribute to them and deploy them themselves. And on the other hand, we are seeing usage from software development teams or, you know, an individual engineer at a tiny little startup that have been tasked with data tasks, even if they might have never really been a data engineer before. Uh, and these are software developers that are now starting to figure out, okay, you know, I need to build a data pipeline. What are the tools that I need to use for this? And they are coming in into this with certain expectations uh, where they assume that version control and code review and CICD automatic testing will all be possible. And Meltano actually gives them that, that answer they've been looking for. We, we also have plans ourselves to at some point start up a hosted version of Meltano, uh, our own SaaS so that people can still use our interface to configure things or they can configure things locally, but then push them up to our service to manage the actual hosting in production. But we have primarily been seeing a lot of interest, like I said, from data teams that have some engineering skills on board or engineers that suddenly have to get into data work. Yeah, thanks for sharing that detail of the ideal customer profile. Just double click on the core product. So the Meltano project is sort of decentralized single source of truth regarding one's ELT pipeline, how data should be integrated and transformed, how the pipeline should be orchestrated and how the various plugins that make up the pipeline should be configured. Could you mind just throwing a brief overview of these capabilities and at high level? Yeah, my pleasure. So Meltano at its root is a 
command line interface that you, you know, install using pip install if you're used to Python. And then it works in the context of a directory on your file system, which has to have a Meltano.yaml project file. Uh, this is pretty similar to a lot of you know, web development and other software development products. And what your Meltano project, this directory you have with the Meltano.yaml file becomes, is a definition of all of the different components of your data stack, um, how they're configured, how they're tied together, and what kind of pipelines you want to run based on those components you've brought in. So at a very low level, Meltano is what we like to call the data ops operating system or a package manager for data tools that allows you to pick these different components, bring them into one place. And then Meltano is responsible for the installation of the components, the automatic configuration of the components so that configuring two different tools can be done through the same interface and with the same things like your YAML file and your Meltano CLI, even if they might actually use completely different configuration schemes behind the scenes. And then Meltano comes in and provides the glue between these tools to make sure that they have a correct understanding of each other's configuration and the way the data flows between them to work together more effectively. So at a low level, Meltano is this operating system and the components you can bring in if you want to enable and unlock data integration and transformation are Singer for extractors and loaders, DBT for transformation, and then Airflow for orchestration. So Meltano is an ELT product, but it's only an ELT product by virtue of bringing in the specific components into the Meltano data stack that unlock data integration functionality. And in the architecture of Meltano, we are actually working to add support for more plugin types so that you can bring every component of your entire data stack into Meltano and have Meltano manage it, configuration, deployment, installation, etc., so that it becomes the stable foundation of your data stack. You can start treating it as one big product the data team works on, as opposed to just a bunch of separate tooling decisions that have their own experts and that you need to really know well in order to configure one by one and, and connect in the appropriate ways. So Maltano attempts to make the open source data stack as a whole more accessible by providing you that package manager and that operating system that you can build your ideal data stack on top of. Yeah, thanks for being very detailed about that overall goal, mission, vision of the project. We'll talk about a little bit later on in our chat as well. But as I look around the Meltano documentation and website, I think you know there's various other projects that your team is also working on. So the Meltano SDK enables users to build high-quality connectors for new sources and destination in a matter of hours. Meltano Hub let users discover more than 300 open-source connectors maintained by the ever-growing Meltano and single communities. And then Meltano Labs provide new scalable model for community maintenance of these connectors. So tying all of them together, how are these different projects contribute to the product strategy? Like we were discussing earlier, we realized about a year and a half ago that Meltano's biggest kind of immediate opportunity was in really making open source data integration a reality by taking this existing Singer standard and leveling up the quality of the uh, tooling in the ecosystem. So the first thing we realized is that there needed to be better tools to run and configure and deploy Singer connectors together in a pipeline. So that's what Meltano itself became. And we focused a lot on making it incredibly easy to bring in these different Singer connectors and run those. The second thing we realized was holding back the Singer ecosystem and data integration in general was the difficulty of creating new connectors. So the second thing we built is the Maltano SDK, which speaks the Singer protocol, but provides kind of an improved framework that you can build new Python packages on top of. It makes it incredibly easy to build connectors for new data sources and destinations. The third thing we realized is that it was pretty difficult to discover all of the different Singer 
connectors that had been built over uh, the last couple of years because they were spread out over between different GitHub namespaces, different PyPy packages, and they were being discussed in, in different communities. And it didn't exist a single authoritative list of every single Singer compatible and therefore Meltano compatible connector. So when we started gathering all of that data from the various locations, we realized that there were more than 300 connectors already, which as I mentioned earlier, is about double what you'll find with some of the proprietary alternatives. And the vast majority of these, you know, had been updated in the last year, we're getting regular contributions when new API versions came out, et cetera. But before the hub existed, people might not have realized how healthy the Singer ecosystem actually was. So that's Maltano Hub. Then third, Maltano Labs is this initiative that we have set up that provides an answer to the question you know, if you create a connector for a data source today, do you have to maintain it forever? Like what happens if your company just uses it for five months and then changes your mind? Or what happens if you're a consulting firm and you built this for one client and then the client disappears? How do we as a community make sure that all of these open source connectors stay maintained? And getting contributions from users wanting to improve them is not that difficult. The more difficult thing is having people to actually review those contributions and put in the time to make sure that they meet a quality bar that they can be included in the official connector. And Meltano Labs provides a space for community members to bring in their connectors and kind of crowdsource that maintenance by tapping into the entire Meltano and senior communities. So through the combination of Meltano itself, the SDK, the hub, and our Montana Labs initiative, we have been addressing one by one all of the top things that were holding Singer back. And now we found a place where more connectors are being made than ever before. Uh, existing connectors are receiving many more updates than they were at a certain point because the story around Singer is a lot clearer now that Montano exists as a way to run them. And we are actually starting to collaborate with some of the other big players in the Singer ecosystem, including the team at Talent that came out of Stitch, which originally built Singer, and teams at places like PipelineWise, which is another tool that uses Singer for data integration pipelines, as well as some of these consulting firms in the ecosystem that have been really big creators and maintainers of new connectors, often in service to their clients. The last thought I wanted to add is, so the way that this ties into Maltano's product strategy is because in the meantime, we realized that uh, bringing data ops to the entire data lifecycle, which is our longer term goal, starts with bringing it to data integration and uh, showing people the advantages of data ops this way. So leveling up the state of open source data integration is kind of key to our strategy of leveling up the entirety of the open source data tooling space. And therefore, you know, data teams everywhere who will get the advantages from data ops and open source that they've been lacking so far. Definitely. Yeah. I think as you elaborate throughout our conversation, you're really the focus of Notano is really bringing that ops functionality to every step of the entire data life cycle, right? And you mentioned, you know, pretty good point in your previous answers, getting contributor to write a code for the project. It's not challenging the challenges here to maintaining and reviewing them, right? In general, like how do you prioritize product roadmap while developing an open source project given different factors that go into it? Yeah, good question. So just to kind of hook into what you said a moment ago, what I mentioned about how it's easier to find contributors and to handle the reviewing of those contributions, this is primarily a problem for this large ecosystem of 300 individual projects that form the connectors for various sources and destinations. Because you have so many users and so many maintainers, you have to have some system in place to manage that. When it comes to Maltano itself, of course, we have been happy with the contributions we are receiving, but that is still a number that we would like to see go up. And the nice thing is that we have a 
team in place now that has the capacity to review those contributions. The way that this ties into the product roadmap is that from our own perspective, we have to have some idea of what we're working towards. And our vision is for Meltano to be um, that data ops operating system that becomes the foundation of every team's ideal data stack by bringing together all of these different open source components for different stages of the life cycle and Meltano kind of making them better than the sum of their parts. So when it comes to our own product roadmap, we have our own ideas of specific functionality we would like to build at certain times. But of course, our open source contributors can choose their own priorities of things they want to improve in Meltano to make it a slightly better tool for themselves. So there it's a matter of being really clear about where we're going because it ends up describing not just the narrow roadmap what we'll build ourselves, but also the broader roadmap of what is potentially in scope in what we're building today and then where we're going. So when it comes to contributors contributing new functionality, it usually starts with an issue on the issue tracker that we have already created at some point, which of course is a strong indication that we would actually want that functionality or it's something that they file an issue for. And then it's a matter of a discussion between the head of product on our side and the contributor to figure out if this is something that we think makes sense in the product. But we love it when people end up spending time on things we think would be valuable that we just cannot afford to make a high priority right now because there's other things we need to build. Uh, and that's exactly why a tool that is built in collaboration with its users will end up being better than a tool that is built kind of in isolation by one specific product team because you can actually tap into both the perspectives and opinions, but also the actual programming time and resources of all of your users who are similarly motivated to uh, build a really, really great tool. So ourselves internally, we put most of our development time into the features that we know will incrementally get us to bring data ops to the entire data lifecycle. That means that we've started with bringing data ops to ELT, and now step-by-step, step, we're going to bring more stages of the lifecycle into that. And then as far as what the community can contribute, we are really open to everything that they can convince us has a place in the data ops operating system. And we're always willing to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Starting with that sort of vision and then yeah. throw down each the component parts. I'll be sure to include the contributing guy from the documentation in the show notes as well. So ah, perfect. Yeah, people are aware of like how to contribute to the project. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, like I said a second ago, we, we believe the best tools are those built in collaboration with their users. So we are super eager to uh, work with you if you're listening today and you could see yourself having use for a tool like this uh, to make sure it actually meets all of your needs. That's another advantage about open source software. You're never limited by uh, how things are today and how the product manager imagined them. If you are upset with some lacking feature or the way something works, the onus in some part is on you also to make it better and to uh, build a tool you'll never want to stop using. Thanks for sharing that vision and ideas um, roadmap. Let's take off your engineering hat and put on your founder hat. In June 2021, Meltano spun up GitLab and raised $4.2 million in seed funding led by GV and you know, other uh, Android investors as well to bring the benefits of open source integration and data ops to a wider audience. Can you share the story behind the decision to be independent and the fundraising process itself? Yeah, absolutely. So when we were telling the story earlier, we kind of left off in uh, March of 2020 when I was left on the project by myself. And then pretty quickly, we pivoted towards open source ELT. So during the year 2020, Meltano's use and contributions and general traction and interest started increasing really quickly. And it was just a few weeks after I had changed the positioning to focus on data integration that I started getting the first emails from VC firms willing to start talking with us and figuring out if one day 
um, Notano might become an interesting investment opportunity for them. So by the end of 2020, I had a number of these emails in my inbox from VC firms that wanted to talk and the numbers for Miltano's usage was finally getting to a place where uh, GitLab also started seeing that this was worth investing more in to kind of increase the pace of growth and to really allow Miltano to reach its full potential. So we started by hiring two people onto the team, one of them coming from GitLab's data team who had been involved with Miltano pretty much from the start as an internal uh, user and advocate. His name is Taylor Murphy and he is our head of product and data today. And then the second person I brought on is AJ Steers, who was one of Miltano's early contributors, who worked at Slalom, one of these consulting firms doing data ops work there. And he had become an active contributor to Miltano, and then he became our head of engineering. But what we realized at this stage um, through hiring them and also generally through looking for other roles we might want to fill and how we would make Miltano an attractive opportunity to them is that... GitLab as an organization was very much optimized to be a you know a company building a mature product with 1400 people working there and and just a really mature organization where everything was kind of aligned around this one specific product that was being sold. And Meltano didn't really fit in that mold anymore. The other part is that the needs of a 1400 person company and a you know tiny one two three person startup are different and the expectations both from the company's perspective and the employees are different too. If you join an early stage startup, your compensation picture will look extremely different from when you join a, you know, GitLab at 1400 person, let alone GitLab now post IPO as a public company. And from the company's perspective, the expectations you have in your employees in the extent to which they stay within the narrow kind of bounds of their job description or expand out and try to do whatever they can see around them who would help the business are different. So hiring engineers within GitLab's own kind of people ops, HR, compensation, strategy didn't bring us the kind of people that we wanted to be hiring as a super early startup that was trying to save the world. So we realized that by disconnecting Maltano from the massive GitLab machine, we would come to a place where we could act more appropriately for the stage we were at and really optimize for that, that rapid growth and the impact Maltano wanted to have in which GitLab was sort of holding it back at the time. Yeah, fabulous. Thanks for providing the context and the mental model that you want to go when making that decision. We, we talked already a lot about contribution to the project. Although in our chat, it seems like Maltano definitely invests a lot of effort in community engagement. So, you know, there's you guys host office hours, demo days, and a very active Slack group for people interested in contributing to the project. Overall, like, how does you and individuals on the team engage uh, the contributors in a way that can generate valuable product feedback? Yeah, so one of the things, and this very much comes from GitLab and it's something we have adopted as well, is this realization that building great open source software doesn't just end at opening up your code base and accepting contributions. Like if you want people to be really involved in the process of building the product, uh, it's key that as we are doing and as GitLab has done, you open up as much of the company and the internal thinking and the product roadmap and every feature discussion as you can to give people the opportunity to weigh in on existing conversations instead of 
external contributions always being seen as something additional and, and separate. So at Meltano, our entire issue tracker for the product is open. Most issue trackers around how we run the company are open as well. And what this means is that people in our community feel like they are part of the team to a much greater extent than they would if we were a little bit more close with some of that information. As I was saying earlier, uh, in the early days of GitLab, the team at the company was only 10 people, but the wider community of contributors was in the hundreds. And we wanted to make sure that everyone, whether they were inside or outside the company, had the same level of access to, you know, what are we building? Why are we building it? What would we accept? And the same ability to weigh in on existing product conversations to say like, hey, I think you missed something here, or hey, the thing you're describing is not actually what I want, what would solve my problem. And it makes a really big difference for people to be able to weigh into conversations about product features that we have in mind, as opposed to always requiring them to proactively create a new conversation, because it's so much easier to give people the ability to read what's already happening and then have them see like, hey, I don't disagree with that. Let me quickly read, like write a two-line comment saying, I think you're missing X or Y, then to expect them to proactively come up with this idea of they're probably going to miss X or Y. I'll create an issue about this up front. So the biggest thing for us has been involving them in as many conversations as possible. So that's on the issue tracker itself. It's in Slack, where the vast majority of our channels are public, uh, not private to the company. And then we have these office hours where our actual engineering team ends up discussing kind of the top priority feature in their mind that we plan to build over the coming weeks. And the entire community can watch through Zoom or YouTube and not just watch, but actually participate in the conversation and make sure that their perspectives are weighed. So uh, in all the processes of the company and, and how we build out the product and the vision, we try to involve our community and limit the difference in access and ability and reach between our internal team members and the wider community that's making it happen with us. Because like I said earlier, the way that we think of building open source software, it really involves around building software with your users. For us, it's not about open source because we can get a lot of free users and then some of them will convert down the line with open source just being kind of a business strategy, even though, of course, that is something we'll need to do at some point as we commercialize. But it's built on this really strong belief that the best tools are built in collaboration with their users. Yeah, definitely. Really reducing that communication friction and you know providing as many contacts as possible yeah. between the product and the users. Hiring is another critical responsibility of any early startup founder. You talked a bit about you know hiring earlier in your previous answer. What are some of the valuable lessons that you have learned to attract the right people who aligned with Maltano's company values and on the spirit of open source I read the business handbook that your team put it on and the seven values, I just want to say for the listeners can listen to it. Empathy, community, sustainability, transparency, iteration, ambition, and accountability. Yeah, that's exactly right. Those are the seven values that we landed on. A number of them are heavily inspired by GitLab or even directly copied and others are kind of our own swing on things and the company we want to build. In attracting the people who align with those values, one thing that's just been really useful is an extension of what I was describing a second ago, involving your community and your users in every aspect of the company instead of just through narrow feedback channels makes a big difference because people can kind of self-select themselves for companies they would want to work at by being able to really see how the team interacts with each other, how the team interacts with users from the community, how we interact with other vendors and then whoever, whether that's on the issue tracker or on Slack or on these calls that we stream, it makes it so that people know what they're getting and we can 
test for that through the hiring process to make sure that they actively care about all of these things instead of just blindly applying for a company and then figuring out afterwards if it's a culture fit or not. Uh, and be, having been able to work with a number of these people already before they joined Meltano because they were community members or contributors has made a really big difference as well because you can get a really good feel for each other and how you work and the things you care about by actually spending you know weeks and weeks and months and months uh, talking a few times a week which, as we do with many of our community members. So uh, when possible, we prefer to hire from people who have already shown that they are actively interested in what we're doing and they care en enough to get involved already before even realizing that they could do this full-time, which has made a big difference. But in general, if these are values that resonate with you, of course, in our hiring process, we, we test for those as well. But there's really no better way to also get a feel for what it would be like to work at Meltano than to start interacting with our team and our community already uh, through the Slack community, where we have just under 2,000 data professionals right now kind of making this data ops OS happen with us. And through these calls that you mentioned earlier, like office hours and demo days, where we usually have up to 10 or so people, if not more from the community, joining in in the conversation and making sure we're not missing anything. If you check those out, anyone listening today, uh, you'll probably find that this is a mission you can get behind and the people who are building it and the way we're building it is, is, is the right way to go about it. And we value really a lot the work-life balance. And like we said, we're building a sustainable business here, which is one of our core values. And we want to do things in such a way that uh, Miltana will be around for decades to come. So we're building the framework from the ground up to allow ourselves to get there without making short-sighted decisions, either when it comes to how we treat our employees or how we treat the community or how we treat the industry. Yeah, thanks for being very specific on all these points. And, you know, definitely love the point about, you know, how you engage and then find the potential hires from within those engagements, like conversation, et cetera. And another topic I definitely want to visit in our conversation is remote work. Because, you know, GitLab is fully remote from the scratch. And I believe that while working at GitLab, you spend six months traveling around the world, visiting and working with 49 college in 14 countries on five continents. And this plays a defining role in your relationship with remote work, which is key to how Maltano operates today. What advice could you give for startup CEOs who are experimenting with the remote work culture in our new normal virtual working environments? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and like you mentioned, GitLab and Maltano have both been all remote from day one. And myself, I used that opportunity uh, when I had been at GitLab for one year to try and visit as many colleagues as I could around the world. Uh, and it was really special to get to go to these 14 different countries and really get to meet the locals, have someone show you around their own city and take you to their favorite restaurants and give them new recommendations for things worth seeing. It was a really special experience, which is also reflected every day in, in getting to work with people from all these different cultures and, and learn about the different perspectives that they bring to work. And at Maltano, we're trying to replicate that. So as far as advice goes, one thing that we realized at GitLab is that remote work if you want to do it well, you need to be really intentional about it. You cannot just assume that processes and practices and habits that were appropriate for a office atmosphere will transfer and translate directly to remote work. Of course, in the first few months of the pandemic, it might have made sense to think like, oh, you know, this is going to be over in six months. Uh, we'll just make sure everyone has Zoom and everyone has Slack. And then after six months, we go back to how we were. And you might not have 
put a ton of thought into how remote work and, and asynchronous communication and text-based communication are different from office work. And uh, companies that started out by just having their teams in five hours of meeting per day because they were just trying to replicate the office scenario uh, also realized that that's not actually the way to get people's top productivity out of that remote work situation. So the intentionality is really important and having everyone in the company be very aware of the fact that this is new and that new problems will come up that will need to be addressed is key to that. The other part is realizing that you are not the first to do this, nor are you alone. And you don't have to figure it all out yourself because then you run the risk of making mistakes that could have been presented, uh, prevented if you had read more or learned from those who had uh, been there before. So one of the great things about GitLab and, and something that's really kind of panned out well for a lot of these companies that had to switch to remote work over the last two years is that, as I said earlier, GitLab handbook for how the company is run has been public, open source, uh, and readable to the whole world pretty much from day one. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of pages on the topic of remote work alone with all of the different things that GitLab has found over time through trial and error really help get the best out of a remote team and make it something that is better and more effective than an office setup for those people who like this type of working instead of less. So I would say definitely go and check out GitLab's uh, remote handbook, which is something that uh, at Meltano, of course, we're doing as well. And a lot of our processes are either directly taken from GitLab or inspired by it. And that way of approaching remote work and transparency and async communication is something that is deep in my DNA and that of the other people at Meltano who came from GitLab as well. So the ability to travel and the ability to uh, get to know your colleagues despite the physical distance is really key. And this trip that I did actually resulted in a policy at GitLab where if you go and travel to visit colleagues, GitLab will uh, pay up to a certain amount per flight per person you visit. So if you go and do a Euro trip and meet, you know, 20 colleagues in Paris and Berlin and London and Barcelona, GitLab would actually end up covering the entirety of that. And at Meltano, we have also adopted that same policy, although it's currently on hold uh, because of the pandemic, because we realized that if you are going to have a team all over the world, enabling them to see each other a couple of times can have massive benefits for morale and rapport and in general, uh, everyone's collaboration and feeling as part of a greater whole. Yeah, I'll be sure to include the GitLab handbook into the show notes so people can, can dissect. And if I'm correct, I recently, your team did uh, an upside in, in Mexico City, right? Yeah, correct. Six months ago. Well, no, it hasn't quite been six months. I think it was in July. My The new Meltano team, eight people at the time, it's grown a little bit since, had our first offsite in Mexico City, which is where I'm based. Uh, and it was really great to see everyone in person after we've been working together for a couple of weeks or months. It is quite special to meet each other in person, but it's also really great to see that no one felt like they were meeting strangers. Everyone felt like there were people they already knew, uh, people were comfortable kind of hugging each other on the first time because it felt like you were meeting friends and colleagues, not just some rando who uh, sends messages over Slack sometimes. So that's also a testament to how having the right policies in place and practices in place uh, in a remote organization can lead to yeah really great personal connections that are not any less than those you get if you meet in person. Absolutely. And just to conclude our conversation, you recently wrote this extremely detailed blog post about the uh, Meltano's brand new mission and vision. And we already covered throughout our conversation, but the mission now is to enable everyone to realize the full potential of the data. And the vision is to become a modular open source data ops operating system that becomes the foundation of every team's ideal data stack. So we talk about like the product strategy and how it can look like, you know, throughout our conversation, 
Was there any other points that you want to cover that we want to close our main conversation related to this vision and mission? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, from day one, the goal of Meltano had really been about bringing these software development best practices of DevOps and open source into the data world. And that has never stopped being the, the high level goal we have. There are so many parallels between software development and data and the way that data teams work and the same advantages that these technologies and practices have created for software developers. We very strongly believe will allow data teams to level up and become more productive and effective than they ever have been. So while for the last year and a half or so, we have narrowed our vision to really only focus on bringing data ops to data integration or ELT, we are now taking a step back again and looking at what we can do for the entire data lifecycle. So what that means is that Multano will become this, this operating system layer I've been talking about that allows you to build a data stack on top of it. And that means that over the remainder of the year, what we will be building in collaboration with our users, uh, including hopefully you today who's listening to this podcast, will be us together figuring out what it takes to bring the entire data lifecycle into the data ops era and to get data teams to think of themselves more as software developers, to feel more confident using these technologies like Git and continuous integration and to build the software that actually brings together all these best-in-class components and makes them better than the sum of their parts. So if this is something that sounds interesting to you, uh, maybe you come from software development but have always thought that data tools were weirdly lacking in this area or whether you're a person in a data team who has been a little bit jealous of your software development colleagues and all the fancy tools they have, we are building, we are solving this problem with you and we'd love for you to be involved and come join our Slack community and start by contributing your feedback and potentially at some point even code as we realize that vision of enabling everyone to realize the full potential of their data by building a data ops operating system. Yeah, thanks for sharing that ideal data infrastructure might look like. Now we at this point conversation and one move into the final closing segment in which I'm going to ask you three rapid fire questions that can give you know very quick answers for the listeners. Number one, name three people in the open source community whose work you admire. All right. So first, that's Max Beauchemin, who is the original creator of both Airflow and the Superset, and now the founder of Preset. And you know, for disclosure, he's also an angel investor in Meltano. Second, I would say pretty much the entire team at DBT Labs. Uh, of course, DBT is really amazing technology, and it has done something that we care a lot about, which is getting data people to feel more confident with software development tools like command lines and Git repos and, and that way of collaborating. And that's very much a first step on the same journey that we are uh, walking. And then for the third one, I'm going to cheat a little bit because it's not really open source, but I want to call out Ben Stencil, the chief analytics officer at Mode, who has a really great Substack at Ben with two Ns.substack.com where he writes about the state of the data space. And he has been writing a lot over the last couple of months about the idea of a data operating system, about data ops, and about the horizontal integration. He has been writing a lot about the data operating system vision he has and tying it to the horizontal integration of tools in the data space where 10 years ago, you might have had like one massive data platform that you deploy and does everything. And today you have five competing solutions for every step of the life cycle as companies have become more narrowly focused on solving one problem really well. And what we recognize and what he has recognized is that with this modern data stack that exists of like eight tools, something has gone missing. And that's exactly that foundational operating system layer that we are building. So it's just really great to see someone with a lot of knowledge about the space who is coming to some of the same conclusions we've been reaching. And if you want to learn more about the state of the data space, Ben's Substack is a really great one to check out. Yeah, for sure. I think everyone who into the modern data stack probably read his Substack. I think every Friday he got a new one. 
and then it shared yeah. on that'd be a great resource for, to just understand how to ship in space. Number two, share one piece of advice that you would give to engineers who want to cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset. That's a good question. I think the one thing that I want to give you to take home is this realization that by being able to program, you have unlimited power under your fingertips because the potential of the computer is really only limited by the code you can write and therefore your imagination and the creativity goes really far. So you can, of course, choose to work on other people's problems and work for a company and do what the product manager tells you, but you are in a position where you can identify problems around yourself that you are facing with or that your peers are facing with and basically just get so obsessed about solving the problem that you will not stop until you have written the code that can do it. And that realization that the only thing in the way of you and your problem being solved is your own kind of tenacity and, you know, resistance to giving up and this, this conviction to just keep trying again, whatever is in your way, because you know it's possible has been the thing for me that has always been really motivating because once you're still focusing on a problem, especially a problem for yourself, it might turn out other people also have that problem. And as long as you never lose your eye of the problem and validating that your solution is actually helping people, you kind of automatically come into this mindset of building something that helps people. And then it turns out to be easy if you've identified something valuable to be solved to turn that into some kind of business as long as the problem and the people affected by it are significant enough. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that piece of advice. And then finally, imagine that you can send out a single tweet to all the early stage data engineers on Twitter. What could you tweet about? I think what I would recommend to all of these early stage data engineers ties back to this conviction we have that the fields of software engineering and data engineering are far more alike than a lot of the current participants in either space realize. So if you're an early stage data engineer, I think you're going to have a massive advantage over past data engineers and perhaps your peers, if you start also exposing yourself to software development, not necessarily because you want to become a programmer, but at least because a lot of these things like version control and thinking about code as something to be improved over time with the feedback of your colleagues, all of these tools that you'll learn like Git, GitHub, GitLab, continuous integration will benefit you massively as the data space evolves to adopt more of these software development best practices. And you might be a pivotal person in your data team if you you can kind of provide that bridge between the software development and data worlds and bring the advantages from the one into the other in a way that might be clear to you while it might not yet be to your less software development inclined team members. Fabulous. I think that's a great way to end our conversation, adopting software engineering best practices into the data development workflow, right? So yeah, that way I really enjoy our conversation today, learning about your earlier interest in programming, how you end up working in GitLab while being a college student, evolution of your career as an engineering lead at GitLab, the backstory behind Meltano and the current journey with the company, various conversations throughout product strategy, community development, open source product prioritization, hiring fundraising, and remote working. So I'll be sure to include everything in the show notes so listeners can have a chance to take a look, dive deep into the Meltano project, the library, the Slack community, and to kind of learn more about, you know, your vision to create this open source data ops operating system to become the foundation of the ideal data stack for every organization. I think you already over-communicated this point throughout our chat. So yeah, that way, I enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day at uh, Mexico City. All right. Thank you so much, James. Very nice to be invited. Well, that's the wrap for another episode of Datacast. Hopefully, you have learned something insightful and interesting from my guest today. 
you can read the show notes from the podcast website at datacast.simplecast.fm. If you want to get instant updates when a new episode is released, either follow me on Twitter or subscribe to my newsletter on my website, jameskelly.com. It is my greatest pleasure that you listen to this podcast and take advantage of the data revolution coming upon us. Goodbye for now.